scripture passage this evening is Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,750, 1,750. After in Romans chapter 1, Paul discussing uh, the wrath of God revealed against mankind, focusing particularly on the Gentiles, and then in Romans chapter 2, Paul discussing God's righteous judgment, uh, even to the Jews who, although having the law, uh, could not keep the law, he comes to Romans chapter 3 where he uh, says these words, hear now the reading of God's word. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. As for the reading of God's word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at uh, Lord's Day 2, Heidelberg Catechism. It can be found in the back of the green Psalter hymnals on page 9. Page 9 in the back. And we will... Uh, do the questions and answers responsively. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind with all your strength. This is the first and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. And that's the teaching of the catechism. As I was looking for ways to illustrate what we're speaking of tonight, um, sermons titled Knowledge of Misery, um, this, this is the beginning of the section entitled Man's Misery, or sometimes called Sin, or sometimes called Guilt. Uh, it puts before us the condition that makes our comfort necessary, uh, and that is uh, the nature of sin. I came across a poem of sorts that I think uh, depicts the nature of sin very uh, clearly. It tells of the horror of our sinful ways if they were left to their own demise. 
And this is uh, how the poem goes. Two pictures hung on the dingy wall of a grand old Florentine hall. One of a child of beauty rare with a cherub face and golden hair. The lovely look of whose radiant eyes filled the soul with thoughts of paradise. The other was a visage vile, marked with the lines of lust and guile, a loathsome being whose features fell, brought to the soul weird thoughts of hell. Side by side in their frames of gold, dingy and dusty and cracked and old, this is the solemn tale they told. A youthful painter found one day in the streets of Rome a child at play, and moved by the beauty that it bore, the heavenly look that its features wore, on a canvas radiant and grand, he painted its face with a master hand. Year after year on his wall it hung, t'was ever joyful and always young, driving away all thoughts of gloom while the painter toiled in his dingy room. Like an angel of light it met his gaze, bringing him dreams of his boyhood days, filling his soul with a sense of praise. His raven ringlets grew thin and gray, his young ambition all passed away. Yet he looked for years in many a place to find a contrast to that sweet face. Through haunts of vice in the night he stayed to find some ruin that crime had made. At last in a prison cell he caught a glimpse of the hideous fiend he sought. On a canvas weird and wild but grand, he painted the face with a master hand. His task was done, t'was a work sublime, an angel of joy and a friend of crime. A lesson of life from the wrecks of time. O crime, with ruin thy road is strewn, the brightest beauty the world has known. Thy power has wasted till in the mind no trace of its presence is left behind. The loathsome wretch in the dungeon low, with a face of a fiend and a look of woe, ruined by revels of crime and sin, a pitiful wreck of what might have been, hated and shunned and without a home, was the child that had played in the streets of Rome. Both of the same person, a child at play, angelic and so innocent, Later, many years, the vile, evil-looking face uh, speak of what sin would do to us if God were not gracious in restraining it. And it speaks of our need to come to a knowledge of our sin. So our theme tonight... Pretty straightforward. Through the law, comes the knowledge of our misery. Through the law comes the knowledge of our misery. The first point is the light of the law. Shows us our misery. Second point, the demand of the law. shows us 
the depth of our misery. You have to trust me, that says misery, okay? And then, lastly, the breaking of the law proves our misery. So through the law, we come to the knowledge of our misery. The first point is the light of the law shows us our misery. The second point, the demand of the law shows us the depth of our misery. And lastly, the breaking of the law proves our misery. So let's look at that first point, the light of the law. So the first question after confessing our comfort in life and in death, um, the first question to the three things that we need to know, first, how great my sin and misery are in this section is how do you come to know your misery? So how do we come to know our misery? We need knowledge of it. And the answer is it comes through the law of God. The law of God is uh, summarized in the statement that is quoted here in Matthew chapter 22, uh, love of God and love of neighbor. It's also summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. Um, Some people call it the two tables of the law, love of God, the first, second, third, and fourth command. And then love of neighbor, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth, and 10th. Um, this is how we come to know our misery. The law of God reveals it to us. Now, the law of God is not some sort of arbitrary listing of do's and don'ts that just fall out of the sky. And then that's what we got. Uh, the law of God, the best way to understand this is a reflection of God's character, God's nature. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, and there's a reason why the Catechism saves the Ten Commandments for later. It wants us to show that the Ten Commandments shouldn't only be seen in the light of teaching of us of our sin, but they should also be seen in the light of uh, how to live a life of gratitude, a life of service to God, okay? So there's, there's a reason why... Um, this summary of the law is by Christ is given instead. Um, law of God is who God is. So if you wanted to do a little quiz or something to kind of reveal this or make this a little more clear to you, you could say, um, why does this commandment say thou shalt not lie? Well, the answer is because God's not a liar. Or uh, why should I not commit adultery? Well, the answer is because God is faithful. And you can go down the line and understand the laws of God in this way. You see them in light of a love of God and love of neighbor, but you also need to see them in light of the sense that they're not arbitrary. They are reflections of God's very character. And because we're made in the image of God, we are to image who God is. We are to reflect who God is. And we do so by keeping the law of God. 
the light of the law shows us our misery. Now, in our passage tonight, Paul goes into a long list of quotations from Psalms that describe the condition of our sinful situation. The condition that we are in is there's no one righteous, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned away, no one does good, and then our throats are open graves, tongues practice deceit, poison of vipers on their lips. Uh, this is the situation of all of humanity in sin. And we're going to uh, find out in Lord's Day 3 how that came to be, Lord's Day 3 and 4. But now we're just told this is our circumstances, this is our situation. We are miserable. We're in the midst of misery. And how do we come to know that we have this misery? Well, the law of God shows us. And verses 19 and 20 express this truth to us from, from chapter, Romans chapter 3. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What Paul is trying to get at here in Romans is that the law of God is not a unique set of laws strictly for the ethnic people of Israel. But the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, the Two Tables, love of God, love of people, is something that is bound to every single human being. They are bound, required to keep the law of God because they are creatures of God. They are made in the image of God. That everyone is held accountable to God concerning his law. Concerning this law. And that's why in verse 20 it says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of sin. We become aware. And somebody is over here checking because I always get confused about the two conscience. Conscience and then conscious, okay? I always get confused about those, always mix those up. But we become aware of sin through the law of God, through the revelation of God's character. We become aware of sin. Now, this is true of people who do not have the Word of God and people who do have the Word of God. Romans 2 speaks of this, that the light of nature, as in the, the things that have been revealed of who God is, show to that person that they are held accountable to God, to the keeping and observing of the law. So this is how we come to know our misery. This is the light of the law that shows us our misery. Romans 7, Paul speaks of this as well. I would not have known what it meant to covet until the law said, you shall not covet. And because the law was there, my sin became in flare. I became aware of it. So everyone is aware of their sin. Everyone. Now the difference is, uh, you go from suppressing the truth to confessing the truth of your sinful condition before God. And because... This is the confession of the comforted believer in Lord's Day 1. We are making this confession of awareness of our sin um, in light 
of knowing that we do not belong to our own ourselves, but we belong wholly to to Jesus Christ. So, uh, but we need to understand this. We need to know that uh, through the through the law comes the knowledge of our misery. So I'm just going to do a abbreviated. I'm just going to put the demand of the law shows us the depth of our misery. The demand of the law shows us the depth of our misery. Uh, in question and answer four, we're told, what does the, God's law require of us? So not only are we told that um, we become aware of our misery through the law of God, that the law of God tells me, but now we need to understand that we are required by the law of God to something. And what is that requirement that we have? Um, it's, it's what is stated here by Jesus in Matthew 22. So perfect love of God and people. And I use this word perfect... Because maybe at some time we, we, we would be able to say, yeah, I love God. And maybe there are times when we, we could say, yeah, I love people. But what Christ is actually saying here is that the law of God requires perfect love of God in your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, all the time. And the law of God requires of you perfect love of your neighbor all the time. It's a consistent thing. So therefore, any moment or any time in which you do not love God entirely, or you do not love people entirely, you have not kept the requirement of the law. Therefore, the demand of the law, the requirement of the law, shows us the depth of our misery. Shows us how truly pitiful the situation that we find ourselves in is. It's just as... Paul describes in this passage, no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. When people tell me, why don't we uh, spice up our worship service and be a little bit more seeker-friendly, I like to go to this passage and say, worship is for God. Besides, Romans 3 says, there's no one who seeks after God. I'm being a little facetious there, but that's what God's Word says. There's no one who seeks after God. Not one does good. So in our world, where the abundant uh, perception, the abundant teaching is that people are generally good, generally good, I mean, if you go out there and you, you take a quiz, you ask, if people, if you th- do you think that people are generally good? Everyone is going to say, yeah, I think that people are generally good. I think that people, people know, um, people try to do the right thing, they're good. The scriptures come with a completely contrasted position. They say, no, there's no one who does good in the ultimate sense. And what it's speaking of here is not, well, of course there are philanthropists who give millions of dollars to good charitable organizations. That's a good thing. But because they do so, not in faith towards God, but to their own glory, it is in fact not good. Not eternally. 
Scriptures, by showing us the demand of the law, perfect obedience to the love of God, entire obedience, entire obedience to the love of God and the love of people, means that we see how far we've fallen, that we are not generally good, but in fact, we cannot keep the demand. It's too high. And the nature in which we have fallen into makes this impossible. The depth of our misery is seen in what the law requires of us. Christ says, on these two commandments, love of God, love of neighbor, all the law and the prophets hang. So the light of the law reveals our misery. The demand of the law shows us the depth of our misery. And let's look at this final thing here. The breaking of the law. Proves our misery. Uh, Question five says, can you live up to all this perfectly? No. 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 And here we get into the nature. It says here I have a natural tendency. And I love the way it phrases it because in our day and age, we, we really have this strong desire, and, it, and it's been around for a long time, to soften the discussion of sin. We don't sin, we make mistakes. We don't sin, we fall short. Or I was thinking of this, a lot of times we even use uh, the, the, the etymology of the word sin and say sin... It equals missing the mark. Okay, well, you know, maybe in a sense, but if we really wanted to talk about the nature of sin, it's not like you're shooting at a target and you miss the mark. Because that expresses that you are actually aiming towards the target and attempting to hit the right thing. You're attempting to hit the bullseye on the target. You just missed it. You missed the mark. I I was thinking... Actually, probably a better way to explain sin is not missing the mark. It's that everyone thinks you're shooting at the target and aiming for the bullseye, but instead you're shooting at the person behind the target to hit them. Our natures are turned inwardly. We're told that we have a natural tendency to hate God and neighbor. Sin is not simply missing the mark. And think about this. It could have said this. Can you keep all this perfectly? Well, no. I have a natural tendency to not love God all the time as I should. And to not love my neighbor as I should. That's not what the catechism tells us, does it? It says, no, I have a natural tendency to hate 
catechism does not express neutrality because neutrality is a myth. Neutrality is not in the Word of God. This is not Nate, by the way. Sorry to anybody who has the name Nate. There is not neutrality in this because there is no neutrality in God's Word. The catechism is faithfully expressed in the teaching of God's Word. It's not that you don't love as you should, which is true. It's that, no, you actually hate. You hate God and you hate neighbor. That's the nature of our sin. And that expresses to us that what the law of God requires of us, we are unable to keep. And that the breaking of the law proves to us, without a doubt, that we are miserable. And I love how the catechism uses this word misery to describe the condition of sin. Because it expresses the fact that this is not the way it was meant to be. It expresses the fact that although at times we may feel like we love and enjoy sin, it's really uh, death. It's really a condition of misery. Of never being fulfilled and waiting for eternal condemnation. It's misery apart from God's grace. The breaking of the law reveals to us, without a doubt, without a fact, it proves to us that we are in a condition of misery, in a state of misery. So there's a few applications that can come out of this teaching that the, uh, the law of God gives us knowledge of our misery. And the first is this. It's deeply personal. For it is us, we, who confess the words, and in so doing, we express our utter dependency upon God. When you read Romans chapter 3, the, the, uh, this part, portion of Romans chapter 3, you come to the realization that if that is the condition that we find ourselves, that long quotation of Psalms that, that uh, Paul gives us, then how can anyone be saved? So the first uh, application is this deeply personal. This is about us. It's not about some sort of other group out there. They're the sinners. This is about us. This is a deeply personal reality. We are the ones who confess the words of the catechism here. We are the ones who, in so doing, express our dependency entirely upon the God of grace. Um, second is, this is essential. There are so many types of evangelism out there that don't want to start with sin. Because they believe that that is going to offend the person they're trying to reach for, reach Christ for. And that will end there. But if we are to ever get to the need of a Savior, we have to ask, what are we being saved from? So it's essential that the catechism begin here. 
begin here at the teaching of sin. It's essential that Paul begins that in the book of Romans. First, uh, the first three chapters of Romans are setting that down until Romans 3.23. For we know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For it's only in knowing our condition apart from God that we can truly live and die in the joy of our comfort. What were we told? You must know what you must know to live and die in the joy of, the com- of this comfort. Three things. The first is how great my sin and misery are. So it's essential that we start here with sin, the discussion of where we find ourselves now in this condition so that we can understand what it is that we are being saved from. Christ is only a great Savior because we have great sin and we have great need of being saved. He is the jewel on the contrast of a velvet black whatever you call those things at the jewelry place. What are they called? Cloth? I don't know. And lastly, I'm alluding to that a little bit. This points us to Christ. This points us to Christ because question answer three says, how do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. Uh, it's the law of God that Christ kept. What does God's law require of us? It's Christ that loved God and love people perfectly. He's the one who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. And he is the one that loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. And can you live up to all this perfectly? When we confess no, we then know at that point that if there's going to be a salvation section of the catechism, if there's going to be a grace section of the catechism, then if there's somebody else who's going to have to keep all this perfectly... And who's that going to be? It's going to be Christ. He kept it perfectly on our behalf. It's he who kept the law on our behalf since we're unable to do so. And it's in him and by his spirit that we then become and come, come back to the law of God at the end of the catechism in the section on gratitude and see it in a new light. The light of gratitude, the light of living and grateful service towards God and the grace that he's given to us in Christ Jesus. So it's deeply personal. It's essential to begin with sin. And, and lastly, it points us to Christ, our Savior, who kept the law of God perfectly on our behalf and took upon himself on the cross all the condemnation that we deserve for our not keeping the law of God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this word, for this teaching. And thank you, Lord, for your word that reveals to us that apart from your grace, we are in a condition, a state of misery. But in your grace, we have been redeemed from the state of misery and brought into your family, adopted by you, become your children by faith in Christ Jesus.
that our condition of misery is transferred to Christ who bore it on the cross. And Christ's perfect keeping of your law is granted to us. His righteousness is granted to us. Now may we, Lord, continue to come to the law to learn of the sin that we still struggle with. But may we walk away from the law knowing that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And that we are called to strive by your grace and by your power and by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. To live in accordance with the law. Not to earn anything. But to express thankfulness to you for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.